Good morning, Life Church, and good morning to all of you that have been joining us for this online series called The God Questions. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gathered his followers and he inspired them with these words that come from John chapter 7. He said, He that believes in me, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So here's a good question. What kind of flow do you want as a believer, as a follower of his? What kind of flow? Do you want a drip? Do you want a trickle? Or do you want the kind of eruption, the kind of cascades that's shown behind me here? Well, if you're anything like me, you want a high flow, high powered life that's overflowing with living water. And with his teachings, Jesus let us in on what's involved in that kind of life. So we would do very well to look at his words that are found in the Gospels, and today we're going to do just that. In the great Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus had his followers there on the mountainside, he spoke to them and he said these words that were recorded in Matthew chapter 5. Here's what he said. Jesus speaks and says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He went on to say, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good life and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of mine, I want you to live lives that are overflowing with me, lives that are bright and salty, lives that cause people to thirst for God. I want you to live the kind of lives that show my grace and my mercy and my love and my acceptance, even in very, very dark places. But the question is, what does that look like today? What does it look like in our culture? Well, friends, can I tell you a truth that I have learned by experience and by leading believers for over 30 years, like up close and personal? A Christian life without looking, actively looking for opportunities to share the good news always seems to produce the same sort of result. A life that might be quite busy, but is ultimately boring. This is one of the great ploys of the enemy. You know, as we grow older and we have responsibilities and obligations and schedules, we tend to let life's ongoing demands crowd out our very mission on earth, pointing others to Jesus. You know, plenty of us watching have probably all but forgotten that. It's just not a part of your life anymore. And if you would admit it, you're spiritually bored. But friends, nothing. Nothing on earth compares with being instrumental in someone coming to new life in Jesus. You know, years ago, Bonnie and I had been praying for a friend that we had shared Jesus with, and we'd been investing time and prayer and energy into him, and he was coming to Orlando for a visit, and I was going to meet him that night for coffee. Bonnie was in the middle of a demanding project at the time, one that involved leading hundreds of people, and it was not going well. At that particular time, she said it was not going well at all. Matter of fact, it was the worst day in that, that entire project's season, just the worst. But my friend got there and we met, and we sat and talked at length, and that night he prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. It was just incredible how God worked that night. And I was on cloud nine. And a little later on, when I met, uh, went to go meet Bonnie and tell her about it, it took what was the worst day of the year and made it just about the very, very best. 
It's because we were spiritually invested in this guy and we cared and nothing, again, nothing compares to helping someone cross the line of faith. Nothing. Now, living in the way that Jesus describes is like an unexpected adventure because I'm convinced that when we just make ourselves available, we just never know what's going to happen. Your day might start out routine. It might start out even pretty crummy, but you don't know how God's going to intervene with an opportunity to be living water, to be salt and light, to maybe use you in a conversation that could change someone's eternity. This is a truth that I believe. Lots of people would say that they believe God can change your life. Not nearly as many people believe that God can change your day. Now, when you are motivated and you're prayerful and just available, you never know what God's going to do. That's the adventure with God, and far too many people are missing it. I mean, think about all that can happen because one ordinary Christian just allows their light to shine. God brings hope into, the, into their world. Any day can be a catalyst for eternal positive change, and God wants to use all of us, just ordinary Christians like you and me to point people to Jesus. Now, I want us to look at this simple equation, and yes, it is very, very simple. Believe plus receive equals become. Say that with me. Believe plus receive equals become. So the first thing we need to do, and also we can help others do, is to believe, to understand and embrace the truth about Jesus. And the fact that he came to earth and he lived and he died on the cross for the purpose of giving his life as a ransom for many. So we could be forgiven and adopted into his family. That's what we believe. That's what we want to help our friends come to believe. And then to receive. Because it's not enough for someone to just passively nod their head and say that they agree with the information we share about Jesus. They need to receive him as their own forgiver and leader, like most of us have done sometime in our past. And so when our friends have both come to the place where they believe and receive, then what's the third element? It's become. They become a child of God the very moment they put their face, faith in Jesus. So believe plus receive equals become. It's a simple but biblical way that all of us can explain the good news. And when we share this message, when we see our own friends and family members taking steps towards becoming followers of Jesus, then we realize or we remember that this is where real life is. Now, this is where the excitement happens in the Christian life. It's when our prayer life takes on a whole new dimension because we're praying for help and we're listening for his direction. It's when our Bible reading takes on a whole new relevance because we aren't just looking through the Bible for abstract ideas. No, we're looking for ways to help our friends know Jesus. It's when our worship becomes more heartfelt because we're worshiping the God of the second chance who loves our friends even more than we do. And it's when our dependence upon God is at its very greatest because we know that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that we can do by ourselves to bring anyone to faith. All right, so how can we live in a way to where God takes us on these adventures? Well, you know, when we study the life of Jesus, we see that he shows us how to be living water and salt and light in our world. And today we're going to look at three lessons that we can learn by asking an, a poignant question, which is, what if Jesus lived in my house? How would he interact with neighbors? 
Three things. Here's the first thing. Before Jesus would talk to his neighbors about the Heavenly Father, he would talk to his Heavenly Father about his neighbors. You know, before Jesus embarked on anything important, he brought it to the Father in prayer, and he never stopped. Jesus was actually praying for his tormentors while he was being crucified. And the tense that's used in the Greek there suggests that he kept praying, kept repeating, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So if Jesus lived in our culture, he would pray specifically, consistently, and fervently for his neighbors. Am I doing that? Are we doing that? I know we can't force anyone through our prayers to become a follower of Christ, but there's a wonderful quote by Mother Teresa that talks about this. Here's what she said. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop, they don't. You know, I was doing baptisms many years ago, and um, a guy came down into the baptismal pool and he was grinning from ear to ear and he had his brother with him who was a brand new believer. And I asked him what the story was, and he said, I have been praying for my brother for 20 years. Now he's a believer, dunk him. <laughs> I thought it was great. You know, if you think about this guy, it would have been so easy for him to give up hope, to believe that it was impossible for his brother to ever change. But instead, here's a guy who is so glad that he didn't give up praying in year 19. So think about this. Maybe you've been praying for a long time for something. Maybe you've prayed for a wayward son or maybe a spiritually confused parent, maybe a best friend from high school. And it seems like it's been forever. And all, all through the years, you haven't seen any evidence whatsoever of a spiritual awakening. And a thousand times you've been tempted to stop praying for them, just throw up your hands and say, what's the use? But this guy would tell you, never quit never stop praying. Don't ever stop bringing them up before the throne of grace. Okay, so here's a question. Who have you stopped praying for? Someone that you love, someone that you want to know Jesus, and you used to pray regularly for them, and then you just stopped. Keep praying. Never give up. Never stop bringing their name before the throne of grace. Okay, here's the second thing we learned from Jesus. Jesus would let the neighbors know that the door is always open for questions. Because I, I think Jesus would say, do you have a doubt or an objection or an obstacle? Come on in, we'll talk about it. I can't think of an incident anywhere in the entire New Testament where Jesus shunned someone with a sincere question. Okay, here's number two. Jesus would let the neighbors know that the door is always open for questions. Because I think Jesus would say, do you have a, a doubt, an obstacle, an objection? Come on in, we can talk about it. I can't think of a single time in the entire New Testament where Jesus shunned someone that had a sincere question. So to be living water, to be salt and light, means helping our friends find answers to their real questions. Lots of people have a spiritual sticking point that's holding their, them back in their journey towards God. They need a safe place to explore their questions and they need someone to come alongside them and help them understand. Now I know that some people gravitate towards the great debate about faith. Is it reasonable? Is it defendable? Well, what about the current tide of public opinion where Christianity and faith is coming under fire lately? Well, there are dozens of great debates that you can find on YouTube or in some other online outlet where you can see that 
really in just about every debate, Christianity and the Bible comes out shining and powerful. But while debates can be dramatic, for most of us, the key word is not debate, but dialogue. It's about discussion and friendships and relationships. Instead of a form of apologetics where Christians might blast opponents with a barrage of facts, we just engage friends personally and lovingly. We can inv invite friends to accompany us into a safe environment like this one, where they can observe or engage in conversation or read a helpful book or an article that, that applies to them personally. We can engage with them and listen, respect them, be authentic, and accompany them on their journey towards faith in Jesus. All right, let's look at the third one here now. The third thing is, Jesus would live out an authentic faith, an authentic faith. If you think about it, Jesus didn't just tell everyone that he loved the world, he showed it by being a servant. Jesus served by meeting the needs of people around him as the Spirit directed him, and in the ultimate act of servanthood, gave his life to pay for the sins of the world. When we serve others as Jesus did, even when it's costly or inconvenient, it opens up hearts that are otherwise closed to the gospel. Let's look at the passage we read earlier, uh, but this is recorded in Matthew 5 in the message. Here's what it says. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. Now in this verse, that word that's used for good there, it doesn't just mean good as opposed to bad. It actually means winsome or attractive. A servant's heart is attractive. People just want to be around someone like that. So a good question to ask is, what do our neighbors see in us? I mean, if your neighbors know that you're a Christian, if they know that you're a church person, trust me, they've got their hypocrisy radar way up. And what are they looking for? They're watching out for a holier-than-thou attitude or some type of phony facade that is pretending everything is good when it's not. They're looking to see authenticity, not perfection, but authenticity, like a real person. So what do they see when they look at your life? There was a guy that told me about a woman named Maggie who'd been poisoned against God in the church. And it was the result of people who professed faith in God, but caused her harm when she was growing up. And she wrote a letter that said these words. The Christianity that I grew up with was so confusing to me, even as a child. People appeared very spiritual in public, but were abusive in private. What they said and what they did had such a discrepancy that I came to hate Christianity. But despite her aversion to church and Christianity, Maggie accepted the invitation of a friend that she trusted to go to church and then to a small group. Sometime later, Maggie wrote another poignant letter, and in it she provided a very rare window into what the Maggies of the world are looking for in Christians like you and me. Listen to her letter. She said, when I came to church, I needed gentleness. 
I needed to be able to ask any question and have my questions taken seriously. I needed to hear real people talk about real life, and I need to know if, if God can be a part of real life. Does he care about the wounds that I have? Does he care that I need a place to live? Can I ever be a whole and healthy person? I've asked questions like this in my group, and I've not been laughed at or ignored. I've not been pushed or pressured in any way. She goes on to say, I don't understand the caring that I've received. The leaders just don't seem afraid of questions. And they don't say things like, well, you just have to have faith or you just need to pray more. They seem really genuine. You know, Maggie ended her letter with a poem that she had written to the Christians who led her group. And as I read this poem, imagine that Maggie is speaking directly to you because in a sense, she is. Here's what she said. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know, do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that he is gentle too. Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I hurt. Do you know, do you understand when I hear you talk about arguments and conflicts and scars from your past, I think, well, maybe I am just a regular person instead of a bad, no good girl who deserves abuse. If you care, I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside me. And for a while, I'm afraid to breathe because I'm afraid it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words? Your face is his face to someone like me. Please God, don't let this be another trick. Please let this be real. Please, do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? You know, Maggie's story doesn't end with that poem. God was at work in Maggie's heart and she ended up giving her life to Jesus. And afterwards, she was asked the question, what, brought, what was it that brought you across the line of faith? Was it that you finally got convinced of the facts of Christianity or that the truth of the resurrection or that the Bible is dependable? What was it? And she said, no, it wasn't like that. I just met a whole bunch of Christians who were like Jesus to me. What a lesson that is for all of us as Christians. What she needed most was just to get to know some people who were, were like living water, who were like salt and light to her, just as Jesus intended in his amazing strategy that still after 2000 years is changing the world one life at a time. Friends, we don't need a PhD in theology to, to just live authentic lives of faith and be used by God with the people around us. We just need to be open and expectant looking for opportunities to share God's love, just like someone shared it with us. And when we do that, we open the door to God's unexpected adventures. And our role is very, very simply this, to be ready and willing, because God is always able. I want you to bow your heads and pray with me for a moment, would you? Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the invitation to be living water, to be salt and light to the people around us. Lord, apart from your work inside of us, we know that can't happen. But Lord, with you and with your power at work within us, all things are possible. So Lord, we ask honestly right now, would you help us to become effective living water and salt and light in our world? 
We believe you can do this in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, and I'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.